For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When you uh, hear about devils or demons or uh, evil forces, what, what comes into your mind? Like heads that spin 360 degrees and, and vomit green stuff or stiff levitating bodies or voices whispering in the house or, or doors slamming shut unexpectedly. I was watching a film uh, based on a true story the other day, based being the key word here, about a house that was uh, possessed, apparently. Um, man, does Hollywood have a way of dramatizing supernatural evil? Uh, but the exaggeration of demon possession or squeaky doors and other things that go bump in the night uh, isn't really a problem, actually. It's to be expected because we want our movies to be fun. Um, but one of the results of uh, the way that uh, Hollywood kind of Im- impresses certain images on us is that sometimes we become uh, over-obsessed with uh, spiritual darkness and devils and demons and things like that, and we think they're waiting around every corner to jump on us, or every time we get a cold, we think, oh, the devil's got me down. You know, Grandma used to say that, oh, the devil's got me down today with a cold. Um, and so we start att- over-attributing everything to the work of darkness. Um, but I think, actually, what's more concerning than that problem is the flip side problem, is that we in the Western world have altogether rejected the idea of the forces of supernatural darkness. We see belief in those things as outdated, that's from the medieval period, the benighted age, they didn't realize they didn't have science, and so we don't really think about that. We've moved beyond such childish fantasies. But here's the thing, that's actually a minority view in the world. Uh, most cultures have no problem believing in demons and devils and malevolent spirits that are uh, trying to impose on their lives. If a Westerner uh, lived in many parts of uh, Asia or India or Africa, their views on this would be a minority. Now, consider this. If you believe in supernatural good beings like God, um, but you have trouble acknowledging the reality of supernatural evil beings, Aren't you being just a little bit inconsistent? Um, if Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about this, um, this problem. He says, there's two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. It's from the introduction to screw tape letters, of course. Um, Andrew Del Banco, he's a professor uh, of American studies at Columbia University himself, a, he's an outspoken secular person. He's not a spiritual or religious person. But he finds himself dumbfounded on at how to categorize the evil we experience in the world without supernatural categories. He uh, wrote a book in the late 90s called The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost Their Sense of Evil. I want to read to you right from the very beginning of the book. He jumps right in and here's what he says. He presents the problem. He said, a gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil evil and the intellectual resources for coping with it never before have images of horror been so widely disseminated and so appalling from organized death camps to children starving in famines that might have been averted the repertoire of evil has never been richer now listen yet never have our responses been so weak we have no language for connecting our inner lives with the horrors that pass before our eyes in the outer world Well, 
The Bible has language for making sense of the evil that we experience in the world. And today we heard from the uh, spiritual warfare uh, passage par excellence, right? In Ephesians 6, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about putting on the armor of God and withstanding the forces of darkness. And so that's where we're going to be today. Um, but I want to ask the question, are there supernatural beings? Are there evil supernatural beings? And if so, what do uh, Christians do about it? Okay, that's the kind of the question for us to explore today. So if you want to follow along, we're going to work through Ephesians 6, just a little bit of it today in your bulletin. Um, Paul says our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That term, uh, struggle, he says our struggle, it's a word you could interpret it, wrestle. And that's actually probably a more accurate um, interpretation. Struggle works too, but it's the idea of actually getting down on the ground and, and wrestling with someone actively, right? It's like really doing battle with someone like, in a, like you would see in a wrestling match. Now, what are we struggling with? Well, he says, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, Paul is amping up his language at this point to, to make a point, right? He's, uh, he's trying to show us that there are things that we are actually engaged actively in battle with. There are forces that we are actually engaged with. Heavenly creatures, um, you could say this, they were members of God's office staff, great in power, who turned in rebellion against him. And now we have, uh, and they now have an agenda to draw humanity into the rebellion. This is actually the biblical story of what happened. Um, the Bible story goes something like this. There are two races, actually, not one, that rebelled against God, against their creator. Humans and some of the beings that God, Yahweh, created to help govern the world. Uh, we talk a lot about the human rebellion in church, but not much at all about the rebellion in the supernatural realm. But all throughout the Bible, both rebellions are assumed. Okay? Jesus himself said this. Remember? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And he confronts and casts out demonic entities that have taken complete control of certain people's lives. Right? That's his ministry of exorcism. Um, Now, demonic possession is an extreme case. But there are other ways that the spiritual forces of evil, as Paul calls them, seek to draw the people of God into rebellion against God. So... How do the people of God resist evil and its influence on their lives? Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. That's actually central. It's probably the most important thing said in the passage, and it's central to the rest of it. Um, Because all of the power, all of the strength and spiritual armor comes from God himself. Why? Because Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus has ultimately defeated the powers of evil and darkness on the cross, right? Colossians says he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. That's important to keep in mind as we work through these next few verses, okay? Notice that the passage never says, prepare to conquer the powers of evil. It never says that. It rather says, be strong, stand firm. The ultimate victory is assumed, right? That it's already happened. But the enemy, this is what Paul is telling us, the enemy will still try to make inroads into the lives of Christians during their earthly pilgrimage. Because what the the enemies of God want to do is actually take the people of God and and turn their allegiance towards something other than God. 
okay? Or what we, we call generally idolatry, right? Turning towards something else and giving our allegiance to it. Um, so then Paul goes on to say this, put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles. I always think of Wiley Coyote when I read that word. But, um, and he's, he's a good character to think of because wiles, and sometimes it gets translated in other translations as schemes. It comes from the Greek word methodion where we get what? Method, right? So in this context, it's a meth, it's a cunning, scheming, deceitful method, right? Of pulling uh, people into deception. The dictionary says devious or cunning stratagems. Um, we often think that if there are evil beings trying to pull us away from God, that they'll be obvious to us, right? We think the, that they'll they'll try to they'll they'll manifest in some way. Somebody will get possessed, or the room will start talking, or or, or something. But the Bible describes the devil as sly, crafty. Paul says he even parades as an angel of light. Jesus called Satan the father of lies, the father of lies. See, he's a master of deception. Uh, Richard Lovelace, he's a theologian who wrote extensively about the spiritual life. He said this, hell is a conspiracy. And the first requirement of a, of a conspiracy is that it remain underground. So you may think that the demonic forces are just trying to possess you or aggravate you to like murder someone or openly renounce your faith in Jesus. But they're usually far more subtle than that. Usually far more subtle than that. They influence our hearts, right? They see that we feel good about ourselves for accomplishing something, and so they push us towards pride. They illuminate those little things we don't like about the person in the pew across from us. Their nose, their hairstyle, the way they vote, the way they speak, and they tempt us to disdain. They know when we plan to pray, and so they give us a sense of feeling too busy to stop and do it. Then there's two big ways that they work on us. Two big ways. The first is this. They keep us blind to our own sin and our need for repentance. They downplay God's holiness and hatred of sin in our minds when we're being tempted. He's all love, they say. Just do it. He'll forgive you. It's his job, right? And they love to keep Christians in a state of unconfessed sin because they know how it continues to deteriorate our relationship with the Lord. Now, the second way is this. This is actually probably even more important. They, they work on us by racking us with guilt over our sin. They, they weaken our belief in God's steadfast love and mercy. They say, you're never going to be good enough. Just give up and go your own way. You keep falling into the same sin over and over and over, so just give up, Right? They try to shield our eyes from the grace of God that justifies sinners and clothes them in the purity of Jesus so that they can have fellowship with him. They love to get Christians thinking that they've exhausted God's forgiveness, okay? which is something that doesn't happen. Now, here's the thing. In this passage, Paul assumes that we will be victorious. He assumes that, right? That we will stand firm if we are operating in the Lord's strength. And he talks about this as wearing armor, right? This is metaphor. He uses a metaphor. So let's just look at a few of those. We don't have time to go through all of them today, but it'll be fun to look at a few. Um, he says, fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Now, the truth of the gospel, um, that's what he's talking about here, that Christ died for our sin, was raised on the third day and exalted as Lord of heaven and earth. You know that. Um, he says that's the ultimate safeguard against evil. 
Why? We live in, um, we live in what some would call a post-truth age. Okay, a post-truth age. That is, um, each individual determines what is true based on their own emotional experience or preferences. Um, and everyone has the, their own truth that they pursue, and whoever shouts their position the loudest wins, right? See Facebook and Twitter, okay? Um, this is disconcerting for a number of reasons, uh, that this is the, the state of things. Um, for instance, it's a tragic discarding of our God-given powers of reason, rhetoric, and persuasion, okay? We're, more importantly, it makes the gospel true, true for its adherence, but denies that the biblical story in which God reveals himself to humanity is actually the true story of the world, okay? It's, it's true, I'm glad for you that you found Jesus and everything and that works for you, but, you know, to each his own, right? So it denies that the biblical story is the true story of the world. Um, but the neglect of truth, it's not a new phenomenon. It, it just shapeshifts over the years, okay? It takes different forms. Um, in the first century, when Paul was writing to his young protege, Timothy, he's, here's what he said to him all the way back in the first century. He said, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That is true teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, it's no coincidence that Satan is called the great deceiver and the father of lies because he always he always distorts the truth a little bit, right? To pull people away from the truth. But here's what happens when truth is abandoned. God begins to be abandoned because God is truth. And standing firm in the truth of the gospel is not easy in our society. It's not easy to say, I believe that this is the true story of the world because that means that there are other stories out there that people believe that are not true. So it's not diff- it's not easy to take that stand. Um, but for us, it's actually a privilege to be in that position. To say this is the true story of the world and it's our responsibility as the church to point Jesus by saying that and believing that and showing that we believe it's true with our lives. Um, Paul then says, he says this, as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Here's another way we have to be cautious of the evil one's schemes. This is one we probably don't think about a whole lot. He loves disturbing the peace of God's people. Bitterness. Factions, envy, hatred, all of that. Why does he enjoy that? Think about it. The ultimate vision um, of, of the future of a new heavens and a new earth where God has restored everything is of a peaceful, reconciled society that lives in the presence of God. And the church is supposed to be reflecting that into the world right now, right? So that people will be drawn to that. We're supposed to be a little little image of that, a little microcosm of that. So when Satan can pull our relationships with each other apart and get us at each other's throats, he mars the church's image and witness to the world. Let's do one more. Paul says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, in the scriptures, God's word is always an effective weapon against evil. He speaks in order, comes out of disorder, right? That's what's happening in the creation account. He's speaking in order is coming out of disorder. He speaks through his prophet so that the truth of reality can be comprehended and sometimes rejected. And he spoke most clearly in his son, Jesus, uh, what, who scripture calls the word of God, right? He is the communication of God, God made flesh. And we have now the word of scripture, which attests to all of the above, right? 
So here's the question. Do you love God's word? Do you, as our college says, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it? See, knowing the Bible is not being about, uh, it's not about being an expert in another area of study. The purpose of knowing the scriptures is to know the God of the scriptures, right? It leads us to him. It's who who, uh, they point to. So if they do tell the true story of who God is, then there could be nothing more important for us to study if we want to know God. And if we know the truth about God through the scriptures in which he reveals himself, we'll be able to recognize false versions of it. We'll be able to recognize false versions of the story, false teaching, false conceptions of God. There are lots of them in our culture. And thus, be able to stand firm against deceptive spirits that would try to pull us away and turn our allegiance to other things in the world. Right Now, here's the thing about the armor. Don't miss this. It's a metaphor, but the armor... All of it together is the gospel. The armor is the gospel. If you've trusted Christ as Lord, you're protected. If you are walking daily, placing your whole trust in the power of Jesus, his forgiveness, and his own power over the evil one, you will be able to resist the temptations of evil. Listen to what uh, St. John wrote in his latter days. He was an old man who was over a community for a long time as a pastor. Um, And he said this. He'd been pastoring for a very long time, and he said this to his community. We know that everyone who has been born of God, that is, experienced the new birth of faith and baptism, everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God, that is, Jesus, he who is born of God, protects them, and the evil one does not touch them. The devil hates that verse. He doesn't want you to know it. That's why I'm telling it to you today. Remember what Jesus told Simon Peter? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to sift you like wheat. Talking about all the disciples. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You see, it's Jesus himself who is our protection. He has conquered evil with his self-giving sacrifice of love. And he stands enthroned as Lord and God of the cosmos. He prays that our faith will not fail, that our eyes will remain focused on our heavenly father. He is our forgiveness. He is our power. He is our peace. See, evil runs rampant in the world. I don't have to tell you that. You see that on a daily basis. Um, And the world doesn't know how to make sense of it. The Bible tells us that evil is a manifestation of what Paul calls the cosmic powers of this present darkness, working in people's hearts, influencing them to hate God and hate one another. And it's clear that those same powers are still trying to draw God's people away from him and will continue to until the day he returns. But here's the thing. The gospel is good news. And it's good news that tells you this, you're safe. We have a place to stand firm, to resist, to take up the weapons of faith, prayer, hope, and love, and battle the forces of evil. And the place where we stand, our safe refuge, is our undefeated victor, whose resurrection conquered death once and for all, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, you are Lord of all. And your word tells us the true story of the world and our place in it. And we're grateful that we have an awareness that there are forces that are opposed to what you want to do. There are forces that want to pull us out of that place of standing firm in you. So we ask you, Lord, that you would protect us with the gospel, that we would stand firm knowing our uh, forgiveness, knowing our place and our position before you as a beloved son or daughter of God. Because your son has given his life so that that could be the case. He gave his life not so that evil could defeat us, but that so that we could stand firm against it to the end. We ask that through his power, through his strength, you enable to, us to do just that. In his name we pray. Amen.